broadcast their communications? What's interesting about them is that they each find their own niche to vocalize, each species. In other words, they have to have their own bandwidth and find their own bandwidth in order to be heard. Otherwise, if their voices are masked and their lives depend on vocal behavior in part, it's really important that they have these channels. It's just like television channels, channel 4, channel 6, channel 5, and so on. Each of these broadcast bandwidth frequencies is really important for the structure of each animal. And in every habitat, all of the animals find their own niche in which to vocalize. Animals vocalize in relationship to one another, much like instruments in an orchestra, either competitive or cooperative. And different animals maintain their own bandwidth in the acoustic spectrum. For instance, most of the mammals sing in the very lowest range. The birds sing in the next range up. Then the insects and the frogs and the very highest creatures, of course, which includes insects, but also the bats have the highest voice in the land-based animal kingdom, and also the dolphins and whales in the marine environment. They also have the very highest pitch sounds. So that's how that works. And those structures are very important because the animal voices have to stay out of each other's way in order to be heard and in order for the animals to thrive in any environment. And that's what we call the biophony. It's the collective sound made up by all of these organisms in a given habitat. And it's really important to understand that the soundscape is a narrative that expresses itself over a broad spectrum, not only of the animals, but a broad spectrum of disciplines as well, because there's a lot of information in that. And you can see that when you do a spectrogram, which is a graphic illustration of sound. What do you mean there's a lot of information in there? When you listen to any soundscape, a natural soundscape, you're listening to information that tells you about biology, about resource management, medicine, religion, natural history, architecture, literature, physics, and many, many others. For instance, people have asked me, why do you do this? Well, partly because I suffer from a terrible case of ADHD. I've always had this as a kid, and I have it as an adult, and I'm not much into medication. So the only thing that calms me down is going out into the natural world and listening to these creatures and being quiet enough for long periods of time and just shutting up and listening to things. I can't rustle my clothes. I can't move around and shuffle my feet around. I've got to sit very quietly for long periods of time, and that's what this has taught me to do. So in terms of healing and a certain kind of medicine, that's one thing the soundscape does. It also speaks to us about religion. For instance, it's the natural soundscape from which we acquired spirituality. That was the voice of the divine for us for so many years while we lived closely connected to the natural world. I guess what I'm wondering is to be able to hear or to decode the information in a soundscape the way you do. Is there an example we could play of a soundscape and you tell us what you hear with your much more experienced, more trained ears? Well, we don't even need necessarily a trained ear. There are two examples that you have. One is before and after selective logging, Lincoln mm -hmm. Meadow. Mm -hmm. What we have here is an example of the effects of selective logging, which is really obvious to everybody. I mean, we don't have to go through a whole course in biology or bioacoustics to understand this one. In 1988, 
I was approached by a logging company up in the Sierras, a place just north of Truckee, a small town on the, on the California-Nevada border. We were told that there was going to be no biological effect from selective logging that would be a problem, that all of the creatures would still be there, the biota of that particular environment would still remain the same, and the biome would be very healthy. So I said to them, fine, can I record before you do the logging and then after the logging to see if there are any changes? There should be no changes if there's no effect, if you're ensuring us that there's no effect. They said, fine, go ahead and do that. So I went and recorded in 1988, and this is the recording of what that place sounded like before selective logging. Okay, now let's listen to what happened a year after selective logging.